Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to the BJJ Brick Podcast. This is episode 291. My name is Byron. I'm here with my good buddies, Joe and Gary. Gary's back on the show. And uh, Joe I is... I am back. <laughs> I only missed part of a show. You kind of stormed out of here a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'm back. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I got a little upset when you guys, uh, after it was over, sent out a, a group email saying uh, how much better the show ended. So um, I No, figured, those are the uh, emails coming to us. Oh, okay. Okay, I see. Yeah, so I just wanted to, uh, you know, get back in that and uh, change everybody's mind. Uh, I appreciate you getting up and trying again. And then, of course, uh, Joe, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Good to be on the line with you guys. Talk some jujitsu. Yep. And we're talking to Mason Fowler this week. He is going to be competing at ADCC coming up uh in September, so hoping, to, looking forward to seeing him there, and also we're hoping to 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 be in attendance at that event. So uh, we'll see how that plays out, but we're really looking forward to the to the opportunity to go there and and cover that for you guys and and uh, share the experience and you know see all the action live. This is the this is kind of the biggest event in in submission grappling. It has been for for as long as I could remember. So really exciting, I think. And uh, it's great to have Mason here and, and, and tell, tell us a little bit about his story and learn from him and the road he's had so far to get to where he's at. He'll be... Yeah, he'll be, he was, yeah go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say he just won the uh, ADC West Coast Trials, the 99-kilogram winner. And, uh, you know, so we can't have a better guest. I mean, he's a guy, he's, he's a man on a mission. You know, uh, if he got on the mat with Byron or me, he would ragdoll us. And if we're looking for somebody... Uh, to model, that's the guy. And uh, speaking of all those things I just said, check out Byron's audiobook, uh, Six BJJ Training Games. And basically, this is a audiobook for, uh, I guess, blue belts or above. What do you say, Byron? Yeah, I, I recommend you have like your all your fundamentals in, and uh, like you know that white belt stuff. All under you understand the basic positioning and 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 have have some sort of a game already developed, and then these games will help improve that game. Yep, and what I mentioned earlier, a couple of the games are Man on the Mission, uh, Model Somebody, and Ragdoll. Um, you know, my favorite, though, is number six, the backwards grappler. I like to, uh, you know, always pass to one side, always Kimura one arm. And, uh, you know, when I do the backwards grappler, I'm working on the other side. So it makes me better. And not only does it make me better, it makes my training partners better. They're getting different looks. They're getting, uh, you know, different looks for me. Have to adapt a little bit differently. So uh, it's a great uh, audiobook. Uh, it's got great reviews. It'll help your game. It'll help your teammates' games. And it'll put a smile on your face because you're going to be having fun while you're training. And uh, the time, it's one hour and two minutes uh, <laughs> of content. So perfect. Yep, Gary, you I had to get those, those extra two minutes. That's that's really difference. where you know I couldn't cut it down any smaller than that because that's really I needed those last two in there. But image in the backwards backwards grappler uh, style of game that's a big one because y- you know all the techniques that you're trying to do. You're, you're trying to do your game, but if I always armbar someone's right arm, I'm armbarring the left arm. So I know how to do it. My body doesn't quite 
work out perfectly because everything's a little bit backwards. It's not my good side. And you, you find some different alternatives that you may not usually find uh, in those situations. And also, the person who's defending it, oftentimes they're not used to defending that arm or that side. And it might throw them into a little different uh, uh, situation as well. So th- that one really opens up a lot of doors. Yeah, like you said, Byron, I, I know when you were first talking to me about the uh, backwards grappler, you said, wouldn't it be great if, as a grappler, we could have, be amphibious and be able to do uh, submissions on both sides and pass on both sides? So, uh, you know, it's definitely going to help us become amphibious. <laughs> that has more to do with water and land. <laughs> But, oh, yeah. that's right. You met ambidextrous. Yes, we're talking about the donkey oh. guard style backwards. Okay. Well, it, is, isn't one of your uh, uh, games the uh, bathtub grappler? That would be <laughs> amphibious. Byron does that's that one scary. by himself, though. <laughs> Solo drills? <laughs> Man. Drill is the key word. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, what do we have this week for the quote? Yeah. It is the fight alone that pleases us, not the victory. And that was by Gary Pascal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you've tuned in the last couple weeks, you will uh, you will get that joke. Yeah, this is our first quote by somebody not named Gary about five weeks. So, uh, Blaze Pascal. So I don't know if that comes natural to us that the the fight alone is what pleases us and not the victory. I think uh, everybody wants to win, but if you apply this to jujitsu, I think uh, you do it long enough and you really pursue it and you really study it and you fall in love with it, and then it gets to a point where uh, I just go to class just for just for the grappling. I can't remember the last time I worried too much about winning and losing. I haven't been in a competition in years, and. Uh, so I do think the longer you do this, the more you fall in love with it and the less uh, you worry about wins and losses. Yeah, well said, Joe. And not to diminish the other side of that quote, not just uh, the victory, but uh, the the fight, the battle is is the part that's enjoyable. I've had, you know, back in the day, some matches that weren't all that difficult. And those, that, that, that really didn't do anything for me. It was like not exciting not fun didn't feel rewarding winning it but i've had matches where i lost or were very close and those were uh, really i felt good about those and so it is like we're looking out here on the mats we're looking for like good competitive uh, environments to roll in and it might be you handicapping yourself while you roll with somebody or it, it might be you having to play your best a game be it somebody's kind of average game and they're kind of relaxed whatever but we want those those ones that are kind of a fight and that's where we grow and that's where we get that sense of enjoyment out of it because if i mean if you spend a lot of time like like gary he'll, he'll grapple in the kids class and he just wins all the time most of the time but occasionally one of the other most kids of the time. Will, will kind of get the better of them and i think those are your favorite matches gary <laughs> Yeah, there was a, a 43-pounder who uh, really put it to me the other day. And not 143, 43 pounds. And I really put it to me the other day. And, uh, you know, I really grew, I think, uh, after after taking after taking a beating from that kid. Yeah, that's one way to grow. Another way is to take, like, an off-the-mat lesson and learn from that. And uh, for hopefully a couple of weeks here, Gary will share some off-the-mat lessons from, like, the business world. And uh, what do you have for us this week, Gary? Well, you know, Byron, are you looking for a job? 
Uh, no, I'm not right at the moment. Well, good, because uh, I wouldn't hire you. <laughs> I know you would. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, on the other hand, uh, he's in. You know, but, hey, um, kind of what I'm talking about is, uh, you know, there's times here in my job where I have to hire people. And, um, you know, you can give me a nice, big, fancy resume. You could come in with the biggest qualifications ever, um, you know, uh, great education and, you know, all sorts of stuff. But uh, one thing that I really look for when I'm hiring somebody is I like somebody who played sports. I like somebody who has done jiu-jitsu. I like somebody who maybe has wrestled. I like to you know, get this person talking to find out what their hobbies are. And, um, you know, the one thing I, I see, you know, about jujitsu, about sports is you, for, you know, the couple things that, you know, I really like about hiring people who have done that is they know how to work as a team. You know, they, they you know, let, let's just take a jujitsu person, a wrestling person. We're only as good as our training partners, as the people who push us to different limits. Um, you know, kind of just what we were talking about, the the fight there. But uh, we have to work together as a team, but we have to get out there and perform when it's time. You know, we can't hide behind the team. You know, and that's the cool thing about jiu-jitsu. The cool thing about uh, wrestling is, you know, it's a team atmosphere. You're helping each other. You're, you're making each other grow. And then once you uh, get out there on the mat, you know, you're out there. You have to go. Um, you have to take all those lessons you learned. And, you know, I look at that. I think it translates very good to the, the business world. Um, you know, I see one thing that's lacking all the time of of people is is they're not very good teammates. Um, you know, they're all out for themselves. They're out to make themselves look better and, you know, take all the credit. And, you know, I personally think if you're going to succeed in the business world or on the mat, as we drag it back on the mat, you know, you have to be looking out for your teammates. You have to be striving to make your teammates better. You have to be striving to make your coworkers better. And as each one of you gets better, the whole gets better. You know, as, as Byron, Joe, and I get better, we're going to make each other better. I'm going to have to defend my heel hooks more because Joe's got so good at it. I'm going to have to have such a good side control escape because Byron's just putting crazy pressure on me. And as we all get better at these things, the the whole is getting better. You know, the gym is getting better. The business is getting better. We're going to make more money. We're going to have more, uh, you know, students come into our gym. We're going to have more medals. Uh, people are going to want to train with us and want to work with us. And, uh, you know, I've just found through the years it just seems like uh you know a lot of jujitsu or wrestlers or you know athletic people you know who've grown up playing team sports do better uh in my you know realm in my business world that uh those are the people i like to hire to make my team the best that's awesome gary and we don't realize that when uh you know if you're hiring somebody who's just coming out of school maybe or something like sometimes the value that you learn in the those team environments of the sports uh, really sticks with you and, and affects the way you think about a team. You rely on them and you're there for them. And, and those are two big things that um, you learn as a team member. Yeah. First and one thing I guess I wanted to say too, and I didn't, I totally forgot about saying it though, but man, I just think if, you know, you think of the hard times that you've had on the mat, you know, in the wrestling room, in the jujitsu room, where you're just getting smashed, where you want to quit. Uh, you know, you're on the basketball court and your your coach is telling you to run more and, and you want to quit. You can't quit. You don't want to let down your team. You want to be in that starting lineup. You want to, you know, win that next match. So it just seems like people who have grown up 
you know, playing sports don't know the word, you know, I can't. Um, you know, they've been pushed and pushed um, by a boss, by a coach to achieve stuff that they didn't think was possible. You know, they've pushed their minds and their body to a uh, length that, uh, you know, is uh, way past their comfort zone. Yeah, if you've never uh, wrestled in high school or you've never watched high school wrestling practice, just watching that will give you a whole new appreciation for, you know, the type of kids that, that the that they're developing if you wrestle through high school oh my goodness you're gonna be tough <laughs> you know and then when you get into real life uh here i'm dragging it back off the mats you know you get into real life and and things get difficult and uh you can almost say nothing's gonna be as difficult as a week's worth of high school wrestling practice and you know if you did that for years and years you're gonna be in pretty good shape when it comes to mental toughness for sure yeah and you know i look at your job and and you're your job, Joe, and your job, Byron, um, you know, Joe, you could be out there in the middle of the ocean and, uh, you know, have a issue, you know, uh, the ship's taking on water. And, uh, I guarantee you the high school wrestler, the jujitsu guy, they're going to be a lot more calm than the other people. And Byron, I, I could see the same thing in, in your group. I know there's a lot of, uh, guys who train jujitsu or have wrestled or, or, you know, played sports in the fire department ring where, you know, fire department, uh, where you're at there. And, um, you know, those are those are the people I want on my side when the uh, uh, poop hits the fan. Keeping the PG there, Gary. Appreciate that, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, the doo doo hits the fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess poop is PG thirteen. So. Yeah, yep. Yeah, good uh, off the mat lesson, Gary, and uh, I look forward to what you have next week. And I've, uh, I'm sure it'll be a good one. Yeah, like I said, when when I'm hiring somebody, I don't want somebody, you know, folds like a cheap suit, like Byron, when the pressure. <laughs> so we can't have that. I don't fold like that on purpose. It's just I get I'm getting stacked, and uh, <laughs> that's just how my body moves. It's not not anything I do on purpose. Yeah, but Byron, remember though, you you you're bad back. You know when uh, it seems like you always hurt your back going for triangles and getting stacked. Isn't that where you hurt yourself? I, you know what, Gary, I I have quit doing triangle chokes. Pretty much, uh, at all. it went from my main submission to I haven't done one in I can't remember the last time. Yeah, isn't that a little crazy? Um, I my wrists are so bad that I can't even uh, you know do guillotines anymore because if I turn my wrist at a certain angle, I'll tap myself out. I've had to stop doing guillotines, and you know that was one of my favorite you, moves. Yeah, you had a great guillotine, and uh, mine is more of a prevention thing. It's just not the smart way for me to stay on the mat. You know, well, consistently. Mine the same. Mine, same thing. It's like my, I won't be able to move. I won't be able to turn my wrists or post. Actually, I can't post anymore. Gary, is that part of why you just play Nogi mostly? No, it, it doesn't. You know, it's just weird. Like I, I use like the, you know, I guess the Marcello grip, you know, for my guillotines. And man, if like I can grab a gi and, and, but uh, if I just turn my wrist at a certain angle, it's brutal. I got you. Yeah. Well, we all have to adapt our games as we uh, learn and, and change, you know, on purpose or on accident. <laughs> yeah. But uh, somebody who has adapted his game, uh, it, like, uh, brilliantly has been uh, Mason Fowler. So let's hear from him and, and learn a little bit about and from Mason Fowler. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. As a side hobby, 
I often use my grip strength to go rock climbing. Instead of using a harness, I just use my BJJ belt. I know what you were thinking, but don't worry about me. My belt never comes untied. I am the only person with a flip phone iPhone. Oh, it's not what you think. It does not fold. If I flip my phone over, there is an adolescent digital jujitsu turtle shell that protects it from damage. I name my phone Van Gogh. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Mason Fowler to the BJJ Brick podcast. Mason, welcome to the podcast. Hey, what's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to have you here, learn from you. Uh, I think you, you've you turned a lot of heads lately with your, your competing and, and your level of uh, jiu-jitsu. Uh, could you do us a little favor and kind of introduce yourself, maybe what got you started in jiu-jitsu and where you are today? Uh, yeah, so... My name is Mason Fowler. I'm 26. Uh, I've been training since I was 18. And initially, I started training for MMA. I was a huge fan of the UFC, and and I wanted to be a fighter. I thought I was, like, a badass, which really I know now that I wasn't. (laughs) Um, And, uh, yeah, I was playing rugby in high school. And once I graduated high school, I got a regular job. I couldn't play rugby anymore. And and really, I just needed something else to fill, fill the time and, like, get my aggression out. So... Started off with uh, with training for MMA, and then about three years ago, switched paths, and now I do jiu-jitsu full-time. So, and it, it was a tough decision to make, but I think it's probably one of the best decisions I ever made. What was tough about it? Um, just because um, I thought I had a lot of potential in the sport, and that was always my number one passion. But um, it was just a decision I had to make, um, just pretty much for my health and, and longevity in life, and life after fighting. <laughs> and I was already starting to kind of see the early signs of like the dangers of getting punched in the head every yeah. day. But I didn't want to go back to working a nine to five and go back to like that regular life after I had already experienced a little bit of kind of the life of a full-time athlete so jiu-jitsu was my way to not get punched in the face but also to still be an athlete and maybe get kind of famous one day did did you ever enjoy the the striking aspects of mma as much as the grappling or or did you kind of lean more towards the grappling loved it i mean i loved boxing um i loved muay thai I still do love it. I just can't do it anymore. I just know that it's not smart for me to do it. Um, but yeah, for sure, love training, boxing, love sparring. I love sparring too much. That's that was the issue is that I would I would f- want to fight every day in the gym. I was always sparring too hard. And in jujitsu, you can do that. You can grapple hard every day and be fine. But but with boxing and kickboxing, if you're like punching each other in the head every day it's not gonna it's not gonna uh, (laughs) yeah it's hard it's hard to have that quality of life when you get old if you spend all your young years getting hit in the head and taking brain trauma for sure and i'm okay with like i don't know having a bad back when i'm older or like having a bad knee 
But when you when when your brain is damaged and you start to age and you can't remember anything, you get dementia. Like man, that's gonna be miserable. Yeah, and that's that, that is one great thing about jujitsu is it. Uh, I don't think it's that hard on the brain. I mean, we do get some concussions and that sort of thing, but it's not uh, purposely taking shots to the head repeatedly. When you when you For started sure. when you started doing MMA, did you have what kind of a athletic basis you bring to that? Yeah, so I just, um, you know what, my my first grappling experiences was like me and my friends getting drunk on the weekends and like wrestling each other in people's living rooms, and and I would watch the UFC and I swear I would be doing like arm bars and choke like guillotine chokes and stuff like that, just from like watching it. So like my first day training in an MMA gym, I was like like I was submitting some of the amateur fighters from no having no training, just from like watching the UFC and then being a decent athlete. So that was like that was pretty <laughs> much my background. And then I did play rugby, which is like a brutal sport. So I definitely had like some good cardio, like um I was pretty athletic and and um I had like that grind cuz rugby is definitely a grind. Today now uh full-time jiu-jitsu, is that correct? Or submission grass yes. wrestling? Okay. Um yeah. looking at that like from your past, how much, how big of a help was that to have done MMA, to have done rugby? Are you, are you using that as like a, like a base or have you kind of thrown a lot of that out? Um, I don't, I don't really know how helpful it was. I mean, a lot of my injuries that I get now are like little things that started when I was playing rugby. So yeah, I definitely, I wouldn't say it was helpful. If I would have like just started jujitsu when I was 10 years old, that probably would have been more helpful or wrestling, but I did not And I can't go back now. So I try not to like, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, yeah. but I try not to. Well, you to, can't like, dwell, dwell on the on past. It. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I try not to dwell on it and just accept like the way things happen is the way that it was supposed to be. But so now you're, you're practicing and, and training for big jujitsu events. Um, I think probably bare minimum, like that style of, of training and practice you've learned to deal with, uh, you know, during rugby and, and during your MMA training and, and just being able to not walk up the street at 18 and, and like learn how to, how to train super hard. And you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely like prepped me for, for knowing how to train and, um, knowing how to be an athlete. And then just like on the early stages of my athletic career, learning how to diet and um, learning like body mechanics, balance, flexibility, all that stuff definitely did carry over to, to the MMA and the grappling training. Do you, so so you train both with the gi and no gi, that's correct? Yeah. Do you have a a preference on one or the other? You know what? My competition record is a lot better no gi. But I love training in the gi. We train. I train like ninety percent in the gi. But I think I've only like in my life lost maybe like three no gi matches ever, and I've lost plenty more in the gi. So I don't know. I think competition wise, I'm a little bit better no gi. Um, but definitely in training, love the gi and love no gi. And what what belt level are you at? I'm a brown belt. Okay. And so when you when you compete at no gi, do you get mixed up a lot with uh, black belts and another upper belt. Is that common? Yeah. So it depends on 
Um, it depends on what tournament. So, like, IBJJF, brown belts only compete against brown belts. But in some other tournaments, like Naga or, like, the ADCC trials, um, they'll put them all together. So it'll be, like, sometimes they do advanced, Nogi, and that'll be, like, purple, brown, and black. Or ADCC trials was open to all belts. So it just depends on the tournament. So how was the ADCC trials? Oh, it was great, man. It was amazing. <laughs> I think it was, like, one of my breakout performances. Yeah. Sure. Could you describe uh, how, how it went or any of your matches? Yeah, I mean, um, it was just crazy. We had um, – they had a schedule there at like 10 a.m. And then my first match wasn't until 5 p.m. So we were all just like waiting around to compete. And then, yeah, my first match, I felt like really sluggish, you know, just from sitting around all day. And then after that, like as the matches went on, I just started feeling like better and better, more confident. And and then by the finals it was definitely like my best performance. Yeah, that you had a lot of impressive matches and that was cool. Um you kinda had a you started with Umaplata and how did you end it? Yeah, it was like an Umaplata with like a rear naked choke combined. It was it was tight. Is that something you do sure. a lot in in training or is it just there? I've never hit that before, ever, <laughs> or in a tournament. Usually, okay, so I don't know if you can see, but I was going for, like, an S-grip at first. Yeah. Like, I was trying to, like, connect my hands like this. Because usually that's all you can grab. But, like, I was connecting, and he still wasn't tapping. So I ended up just, like, from here, like, sliding it all the way through. And I don't know, his shoulder was, like, completely out of the socket. It was really bad. Yeah, that was a that was a dramatic ending <laughs> to that. No, for sure. And so, uh, winning that match, what what happens next? I was high. I was just so happy because, like, I knew the guy, and I definitely knew that I should beat him. And I I knew I was going to beat him, but I wanted to like put a statement because everyone were watching was watching. All eyes were on me. And I feel like that's when I perform the best is when, like, all the pressure's on. So, yeah, it definitely worked out. And I was just hyped. I was hyped that I caught him in, in like, a flashy move because that's what I wanted. I wanted to hit him in something where, like, people would remember me. And I definitely think I did that. Yeah. So now, now you have to train for another tournament. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, can go no, into ADCC? Yeah. Right, yeah, right after I won, I was like – Oh shit! Now I'm I'm doing ADCC, and I looked up the brackets from 2017, and I was like, "Oh my god! Like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. Every guy is just the best of the best. So yeah, it's gonna be. I mean, it's four matches. That's all it is. Four matches. If I could win that, then I'm gonna be in the history books. Especially if I win as a brown belt, it'll be insane. Yeah, it, and ADCC has had a history of uh, people who weren't black belts doing pretty well. You know, it's not. Yeah, I think it's because of the rule set. Okay. The rule set caters more towards wrestlers because if you pull guard, it's a penalty point. So it's a lot easier for wrestlers to win because the jiu-jitsu guy can't take them down and has to pull guard, gets an automatic penalty point, and then the wrestler just has to be smart and stay on top and not get submitted. And they can win the match like that. Have the rules been uh, 
like the rules you competed under a little while ago, are those locked in for the for the main tournament or might they change? I think so, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, anything. Because I mean, it seems like they kind of tweak them a, a little bit every time just to have as much action as they can or, or just see what, like, they might start like a, I don't know if they, I can't remember what it was, like a, a time would start and no points for a little while and then points would start in. Was that, is that, what was, I guess, what was the rule set that you had? Yeah, so um, at the trials, it's six-minute matches. The first three minutes, there's no points. The second three minutes, there's points. Um, in the finals, it's eight minutes, and there's no points for the first four minutes. But in the finals, they give out the penalty point if you pull guard in those first four minutes. So because I pulled guard, I was down by one penalty point. Um, but I knew that if I had eight minutes to work, I was going to be able to score on him. Or I thought I was going to submit him for sure with the Omoplata. But I was telling people I was going to Omoplata him just because I felt so confident. But um, I knew, okay, I have eight minutes. Like, I'm definitely going to score on him. Like, it's okay if I give him the penalty point. So that's why I pulled first. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's uh, that's great to have that confidence and to know that that when you pull guard, you're going to do something with your guard, either sweep somebody or submit them and uh, and make up for that, that penalty. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Well, that, do you think your strategy will change uh, much between now and, and when you compete against uh, the best in the world? Yeah, it's going to have to change because now um, the guys know what I'm going to do. Because I had pretty much the same. I mean, I pulled half guard all my matches. Fake the shot, pull half guard. That's what I did all five of my matches at the trials. And at this level, guys are going to study that for sure. So I can't just go out there and just pull half guard and do the same exact thing I did at the trials. I'm going to have to like switch my game up definitely. Yeah, and then it, like, and so then I think there's room in there to to mess with them a little bit if they think you're going to pull half guard, and you fake a shot to set that up. I don't think that they defend your shot as well, or exactly. they might be open to other things. If they, if you think you know what someone's going to do, and then they hit you with something else, it always surprises. <laughs> and uh, yeah, definitely, yeah. And so that that's cool. And it's it's, I'm I'm excited to see you uh, com- compete uh, in that tournament. And do you have plans to compete much up until then to kind of like tune up or to just normal training and normal competing? Um, yeah, not to tune up, but I'm, I definitely have to. Um, I'm going to finish out the gi season. We're in the middle of the gi season right now. So I got um, I got a bronze at the Europeans, which I'm not happy about. Um, so I definitely want to – I'm going to do the London Grand Slam uh, in two or three weeks. And then that should qualify me to do the Abu Dhabi World Pro. So I'm going to do that, the Pan Ams, and then hopefully I'll get the travel package to do the World Pro. And then after that, that'll be in April. And then the Worlds is at the end of May. And then, so that's going to be my, like my last, what is that, four tournaments uh, in the gi season. And then after that, I'm going to take like an off season just to rest my body to make sure I don't get injured. And then we'll be all 100% no gi training after that for the um, for ADCC, which is in September. So plenty of time. I'm, I'm going to have to take at least a month off after the worlds, I think, because like we train so hard here at, um, Kyle's gym 
I'm going to need some off, off time to heal my body. And then after that, we'll get like right into training, training camp. How has uh, your training there at Kyle's gym been? Man, it's brutal. I've never been so tired before in my life. <laughs> Tell me a little bit maybe uh, of like what a week looks like. How many days a week are you, are you training? With the, how many hours on those days and, and, and what you're doing? So just because I haven't like really adapted to the, the training they have here yet, I just am doing like the comp classes. So it's Monday through Friday, one to three. They do an hour of drilling, hour of rolling. So eventually I want to start adding in some um, either like weightlifting sessions or cardio or um, doing some of the night classes. But right now I'm just like trying to let my body adapt to the, the pro training because it's like so hard. The, the guys who are in the room with you <laughs> are a bunch of studs as well. And, yeah. and it makes a, a crazy environment for getting good at jiu-jitsu. No, for sure. Yeah, it's brutal. Could, could you uh, describe, like, if someone's going to watch you compete for the first time, what could they expect or what would you uh, want to, like, prep them with as far as, like, watch for this, that type of uh, information? Um, if someone's gonna, if someone's gonna compete against me, no, no, no. If someone's uh, just a fan watching you uh, compete, you know, online or uh, ADCC or whatever, like, w- like, what, what, what do you bring uh, to the mats that that fans like to see? Um, I, I would say the difference between me and most guys is that, like, I like to, I like a scrap. I, I don't want to like just weigh and win by one advantage. I'm definitely like trying to beat the guy. I'm like, I want to break him. So I feel like I'm, I have a more exciting um, style than most guys. And, uh, yeah, most guys play close guard and sit in the close guard or sit in 50-50 for five minutes and then try to win by one sweep. But I'm definitely trying to, like, beat the guy. I'm trying to pass and submit the guy. interviewed Jared Dopp a while ago, and, uh, you know, he, he did very well at ADCC as a purple belt. And one of his key strategies was to just pu- keep pushing these guys that aren't used to to that pace. And then towards the end of the match, that's the time I'm gonna, he's going to win. So he knew full well he wasn't in for a quick match. He, you know, he's going to push the guy, make him tired, and then uh, you know that world class black belt becomes a little bit more attainable as far as being able to beat that person. Exactly, you got to make him tired. They say fatigue makes cowards out out of men. It does me <laughs> like we like you're training hard, and that's just the thing. Like you can't fight as well when you're tired, and 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 some of that is like cardio, some of that's position wise, and and uh, there's a lot to that. And it's just it's hard to to fight like you want your body to do when you're exhausted. Yeah, no, definitely. So are you are you teaching any jujitsu? Are you mostly there training? Yeah, yeah. So I got a. Um a coaching job here at um, Kyle Terrace Gym. I'm only teaching a couple of classes right now, and then um, I just cover when they need guys, um, when guys need time off or whatever if they're traveling. So I'm not. I was teaching like 11 classes a week plus privates, like five or six privates a week um, in Fresno. But now I've kind of restart, so um, I have to like start building that up again. Yeah. which it'll happen. It just takes time. Yeah, like like when you teach a private lesson and it goes really well for the student, they learn a lot. What typically has a student done to make it go well? Like, do they could bring you a bunch of questions to you, or do you kind of roll with them, or do you know them, or or what makes somebody get the most out of a private lesson? That's the best is when they have questions because then 
I I don't always have like a perfect answer for them, but if someone has questions, I can give them something specific to work on. If not, I mean, during my private, I'm going to do kind of just whatever technique I've been working on lately, or maybe I'm just going to work on some techniques I was working on with the person before you. So yeah, definitely. I would say bring questions, bring some kind of problems like, Hey, I'm having trouble escaping the back position or I'm having trouble finishing this submission or I'm having trouble sweeping from half guard. Bring a question because then I can work on something specific for your game that you're having problems with instead of just giving you some cookie cutter technique because anyone can do that. Yeah, that's I mean, the, the the cookie cutter technique or whatever, like that's what you teach at a seminar a private lesson, yeah, that's great advice. Bring some problems, and that will be specific to your game, and and present them to somebody that could that could help help you out. That's great advice. No, definitely, yeah. In order to kind of get a glimpse of to like what you were earlier on in Juice, so maybe make you uh, more relatable to the everyday grappler. Uh, what were you like as a blue belt? Like, like okay, you came in, you did some MMA, you came in, did some started doing jujitsu. Did you get a blue belt pretty quickly, or did you get that in your MMA career? And, and what were you like? Yeah, no, I definitely, um, I was a monster when I was a blue belt. I wish that I had like the same fight and scrap that I did when I was a blue belt. Cause I was like crazy. Like, no, <laughs> I mean, some technique, but like no patience, just like nonstop coming forward and attacking. Like sometimes I wish I had that still because I'm definitely more patient now. Um, but yeah, I got my blue belt really fast, like within a year. And then I got my purple belt really fast too, like within a year after that. So I wish that, but it was because I was doing MMA. It doesn't matter what belt you are when you're an MMA fighter. It's more of like a confidence thing. Like, yeah, I'm a purple belt. Um, but I definitely wish that I would have taken more time at the lower belts and developed more of like with the jiu-jitsu tournaments and stuff. But it wasn't my focus. I did a couple tournaments for fun, but I didn't really care about it. My main focus was always for MMA. So it was rough for me when I, as a purple belt, started competing in jiu-jitsu full-time. I had, there was a definitely a learning curve because I didn't know any of the points or any of the rules. Um, and there's definitely a strategy. And I, had, I didn't have a lot of experience in jiu-jitsu tournaments. Um, so I just competed like as much as I could for like two years at purple belt. And now it's like I have so many tournaments under my belt. I feel like I'm like caught up. But I was competing. I was trying to compete every month. Yeah, man, that's that's uh, that would help somebody get better quicker. And I think that the the aggressiveness that you that you had, um, it may not always work out in any particular match. But when you have a decision to like do an action or to wait a little while and you tend to do an action, that also helps you learn faster because you're doing more different things in jiu-jitsu. So I think that's a, a way to, to learn jiu-jitsu a little quicker as well. And you have a, you're a really good athlete and all the other things that you bring. So, And, like, I'll still, like, I can pull that out of me, like that grind, if I need to, like, if I'm losing the match. If it's the last minute and I'm losing... Like, I promise you will always see me fight. Like, I'm, I'm never going to lay there and just accept it like a lot of these guys do. I'm surprised how many guys sit there and accept defeat in the last minutes. Why, why do you think that is? I don't know, Hart. Uh, they just want, I don't know. A lot of guys, 
you talk about like using technique, like technique over strength. That's like Kyle's motto. Um, but I mean, sometimes when the technique isn't working, you have to just kind of like pull something out of your ass and just make it, make it happen. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes as a more of a fan, it feels like that a guy would rather not get submitted and he knows in the position that you're in now, he's not going to get caught, but he's also going to (laughs) lose. Yeah. Guys would rather lose by one advantage or by two points instead of opening up with the fear of getting submitted because then they can go tell their friends, Oh, I just lost by two points. And I've been there too. When you're, when you're losing by two points and there's 30 seconds left and you're losing to a really good guy in your head, you think like, Oh, I didn't get submitted. So that's like a moral victory, but you have to go out there and force yourself to open up. And if you get submitted, you get submitted. Losing is losing doesn't matter if you lost by two points or an advantage or by a submission, you lost. So you have to get out of that habit. So, you know, you haven't lost much without the gi on and, and, but, but you've competed a ton. How do you, and this is a good question for anybody listening, like good advice. How do you come back from, from a a match that you thought you maybe were going to win or or that just didn't go well for you and, uh, and grow from that? Yeah, I used to get real salty when I lost. I used to be so mad when I lost. Um, But if you're not losing, you're not competing enough. Anyone that competes at, like, the Europeans, Pan Ams, Nogi Worlds, Worlds, ADCC, like, it's very rare that guys go through all those tournaments without having any losses. Most, I mean, if you're 50-50 at the Worlds and the Pan, I mean, you're doing pretty well at black belt or brown belt. Um, if you're 90, 90% winning, then you're like one of the best guys. So you just have to accept that you're going to lose. Um, and then just try to think about why you lost, what you need to work on and have a different game plan for that guy. Cause you will go against him again, most likely. Um, and yeah, just don't, you have to learn from the losses, but not dwell on them and not let them affect your confidence. Yeah, that that is great advice. And sometimes it is just a matter of game plan or like a bad matchup. Like, <laughs> uh, Mason, if we competed, you'd beat me every time, no matter what my game plan was. But a lot of times when you're competing against somebody, it is just a matter of like, well, if I would have been able to play top game instead of bottom game, it would have been a whole different match. Because, I mean, we've all had those... Uh, roles while we're grappling and it's like man I just got destroyed and next week same guy and just a little bit different situation and it goes way better and that could happen too at at a tournament you just get one shot at it and you happen to play the wrong game yeah no for sure and I mean all you have to do is go up by two points and put the guy in close guard and stall it out and anyone can win that way if they have a good strategy yeah (laughs) not the most exciting strategy and and that's why I like watching you compete yeah you know, you are looking for exciting matches. You are looking for uh, like a great display of jujitsu and and and, uh, and and just entertainment to watch as well. For sure, but I mean, sometimes I am learning to play the game. That's for sure. Yeah, you have to know how to play the game. Sometimes you can't just go balls to the wall every match. Yeah, and I I've had similar comp- uh, conversations with with students at my gym. You know, they go do a tournament and their game plan is to submit everybody not care about the points but you're gonna you probably could hit a guy that you can't submit 
And do you want to get past that guy or is that the end of your tournament right there? And so, yeah, you have yeah. to, you have to know all the, you don't have to know how to play the game. Yeah. Or you just like make yourself so tired by trying to submit the guy and then you have no gas in, in your next match, you know? Yeah. So you mentioned at AD's, uh, CC at the trials there that, uh, you had to wait a long time before you actually competed. And that, I don't think that's a rare thing. Um, what advice do you have for somebody who's sitting at a tournament and having to wait? I've never, I've never sat for ten for uh, seven hours. Yeah, that's a, that is that a long would... time. But like to think you're going to pee at like noon and actually it's like four o'clock or like just. Do you have any advice of what to do or to how to spend that time? And and be... I mean, IBJJF, IBJJF is pretty good about um, competing on time, and they live update the brackets. So you can – a lot of tournaments nowadays, any tournament that uses smooth comp or like IBJJF has their own system, um, they live update on your phone. I think it's super important for tournaments to use that because then you can warm up and uh, and you have some kind of idea of when you're going to be competing. If they just tell you to be there at 10 and you're going to compete any time between 10 and 5 p.m., you have no idea when to warm up, um, stretch out or like – a lot of people take like pre-workouts or they like to like me. I like to eat at a certain time, like eat two hours before I compete, drink coffee, maybe like 45 minutes before and stretch out and warm up. So I have my own little routine and I think most guys do have a routine like that. So, um, yeah, I, w- I would just say develop kind of like your own little routine of things you like to do that way. It just kind of becomes normal. It's like, okay, it's this time I'm going to eat. I'm going to, do this i'm gonna stretch then i'm gonna warm up and then i'm gonna compete and uh i i also have heard a lot of people that don't like to warm up which i think is ridiculous all the studies show that you perform way better when your body's warm and when you're loosened up and then also um a lot of people get really nervous and uh i've found that as soon as i warm up and i'm sweating i'm like okay like i'm kind of in the zone i'm ready to go and and uh, I think definitely that'll help the nerves as well. That's a good. T- so warming up actually makes you uh, is is I, it makes total sense. It's better than sitting there being nervous. A hundred percent. And man, jujitsu is so far behind other sports. Like in collegiate wrestling, all of my friends that are wrestlers are like super into warm ups and like. You see jujitsu guys wearing shorts and flip flops with no socks and t-shirts and just standing there waiting to compete. And I'm like, bro, you're freezing cold. What are you doing? Like you're going to have no explosiveness. You're going to gas out quick and you're probably going to like tear your ACL if you twist the wrong way. All of my friends that are wrestlers are like they're early wearing socks and shoes and sweats and a sweater and a beanie. And doing like a crazy warm up before they compete where they're drenched in sweat because like like with with the um, collegiate sports, this, they follow the studies and they follow the research. So I don't know. I just feel like we're way behind with jujitsu. Like guys absolutely do not know what they're doing. So how does like this is a good uh, like way to prep the day of the tournament. But how does this look before like like a training day? So you say you like to eat two hours before a tournament. Are you eating two hours before you go train? For sure. I try to do everything the same um, when I compete as I do when I train, for sure. So what's a good 
type of meal before you, like on competition day, what are you able to bring to the tournament and also eat two hours beforehand? Yeah, it depends. Um, if I have a kitchen, I like to make eggs and uh, avocado. I mean, eggs and avocado and like maybe some almonds. That's like my go-to. If I don't have a kitchen, my next go-to is Starbucks breakfast sandwiches. I don't know why. That's just, they never let me down. <laughs> that's good. Um, and then your warm-up for a competition, it sounds like it's, it's a pretty good intensive, uh, intense warm-up that gets you sweaty and, and gets you loosened up. Is there a particular thing yeah. you, you do? Or are you with a partner? Or are you, you doing some stuff by yourself? Um, yeah, I, I prefer to have a partner with me. Um, I just do my stretching routine and, uh, my old coach was the best at it because we would go really intense. Like we were rolling, but he would like, let me work, you know? Um, so that's the best. If you have someone to kind of like give you maybe 50% resistance, then you're going full speed and like doing like a takedown to a guard pass to like a back take to a submission, like some hard explosive movements. Um, and then if I don't have a partner, I'll just go run sprints in the hallway. And like, I try to really make myself tired. Like when I'm going, like not just like get a little sweat in, but to the point where my body's starting to feel like fatigued and like, I want to stop. But then I'm like, okay, let's do a couple more just because I know that I'm like getting that first wind out. Is that why some people feel better? Like as the matches go, technically they should be getting harder. Like your first match, if statistically will be your easiest match and your last one is probably your toughest one. But um, yeah, but is that because people are getting more and more warmed up or for sure? My, even when I warm up good, my first match is always the worst. Always. If you, if someone really wants to beat me, go against me on the first match. Cause <laughs> I swear. If you go against me in the fifth match or sixth match in a deep bracket and my confidence is up and I'm warm and I'm loose, I promise you I'm going to beat you. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's kind of what it sounds like with your uh, rolling with a, like a coach and they're going 50% and you're going full speed. It's just every – it makes you feel like everything is working today. Like the, the techniques I'm doing, the sweeps I'm doing, my my chokes, they're all working great. And, uh, and it's just kind of getting that feeling – before you even started your, your match. Yeah, no, for sure. Definitely. Cool, man. We got a lot of good advice out of you today. I appreciate that. No, thank you, bro. I hope it helps. Yeah. Um, another, one more question here, because not everybody can train, uh, you know, as much as you do. And, and, and a lot of us are just more, uh, just, it, it's just a fun activity that we do as much as we can. Uh, but but a lot of us can train like two or three times a week. Do you have any advice for the person who can't make it in and train as hard as you, but, but full-time job, family, and, and to come in and train when they can? Yeah, I would say that um, to not compare yourself to other people because a lot of people are, are ultra competitive and they want to be there every day to be the best one on the mats or else they're not going to train. You know, I see a lot of people with that mindset that have a full-time job and only can make it maybe like two or three times a week. And so instead of just like being the best version of themselves possible, they compare themselves to the young kids on the mat that are training six days a week that they're never going to be better than. And so they quit. Um, Either you see that or you see guys that want to do five, six times a week and get burnt out or get injured, and then they quit. So my advice would be, 
start off at two times a week or three times a week and be consistent. If you train two or three times a week for 10 years, you're going to get your black belt and you're going to be really good at jujitsu. If you train eight times a week, twice a day, um, for one year, and then get burnt out and quit, you're not going to be a black belt. You're never going to reach your full potential. So focus more on the consistency instead of trying to jam as many sessions in a day uh, as you can. Man, that that is awesome advice. Uh, Mason, you, I know you uh, are doing a lot there, but you do have some support. Uh, you have some sponsors and stuff. Who are Who's helping you out? Yeah, so um, I got a shout-out um, CTA, uh, Kyle Terror Association, for taking me in. I really needed to move to a bigger team. My coach um, that was working at our gym moved to Florida, and I had no I had no coach. I didn't have um, a lot of high level training partners. So shout out to Kyle Terra and Yuri Samos for taking me in uh, and welcoming me to the team. And then my biggest sponsor um, has been Moya Moya Brand. They always take care of me. So huge thanks to them. And then I have Chronic Tacos in Fresno, Pokerito in Visalia. Um, and then MDM Miguel DeLoza management. And then, um, also my buddy, Rick Falcon. So Miguel DeLoza and Rick Falcon, um, are like two of my biggest supporters. They always help me find sponsors and, uh, help me out. And then my business partner, Amar Hussein, he helps me out a lot too. Um, helped me start my first business and, uh, he's been kind of like a financial mentor to me. So thanks to everyone. I got a lot of, uh, people surrounding me. Anyone successful, man, like they can't do it by themselves. They, I have a big team and a big circle of friends and family supporting me. <clears throat> so thanks to everyone. That is awesome. What uh, what business are you are you uh, involved in? Yeah, so we started a jiu-jitsu tournament. We uh, we held one event so far. Um, we're probably going to do our second one in the summer. It's just in Fresno right now, um, but uh, we're looking to expand for sure. What's it called? It's called Fight to Finish, Fight to F2F. Okay. It was the website to that or a Facebook thing? or. Yeah. it's uh, The Instagram is Fight to Finish BJJ. Okay. Cool. Well, we'll check that out. Anything that's – what would you say – how would you describe the tournament to somebody interested in going? Um, yeah. So uh, we wanted to mimic the IBJJF system. We wanted – we used the IBJJF rule set. And the reason why is because there's nothing in Fresno that utilizes the IBJJF rule set. Um, the tournaments that we do have in Fresno don't use the advantages. They don't use the same legal and illegal moves or any of the same rules, faults. Nothing is the same. Um, so just one of my experiences that I had is I did uh, our local tournament that we have in Fresno. And, and then I went out to the world as my second jiu-jitsu tournament and I lost by an advantage and I actually thought I was winning the match because some of the rules that they have locally aren't the same as um, the ones that they use in IBJJF so I ended up losing by an advantage and I thought that I won the match and the ref raised the other guy's hand Um, so I think it's really important that if you want to compete and be a world champ in jiu-jitsu you need to know the IBJJF rule set they're the number one tournament so that's why I wanted to start a tournament with their rule set. So, and we use the same mats, the same exact mats that IBJJF uses. We use. Um, we want to kind of try to mimic them as much as possible. 
just to give someone, and we're not trying to be the IBJJF. We're trying to give um, all the jiu-jitsu practitioners in the Valley, the Central Valley, we want to give them the opportunity to experience the same rule set um, kind of as a training session for the bigger tournaments. And that's cool. It sounds like you found like a, a market that needed something and you're, you're filling that spot. That's uh, it's a great, it sounds like a yeah. great service you're doing for the people that are around you in Fresno. We're trying. Also, it's a business, so we are going to try to make some money off yeah. it. So <laughs> we're not just being, uh, you know, we're not just, I don't know, we're not just volunteers, you know. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. definitely a business opportunity. But, I, I mean, we do definitely want to grow the the jiu-jitsu scene in Fresno as well. We have a couple tough competitors coming out of Fresno now, so we want to keep it going. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the better you do, the more likely you're going to keep doing it and uh, the, the healthier the whole thing will be, so – yeah, <laughs> want you to make yeah. money at this and, and and it to be successful, not just a a side hobby that doesn't uh, do anything for you. And then when you actually don't have that time available, you know it's gone. So yeah, the more money you make and the more people support it, the more likely it'll be around for years to come. Definitely. Well, definitely. Cool. How could somebody find you or connect with you? What's the best way to do that? Um, the best way I would say is on Instagram. My Instagram is my name Mason Fowler MMA. So, um, yeah, find me on Instagram. If you have any questions, feel free to shoot me a DM. I try to respond to everyone um, and uh, stay connected and follow me throughout this crazy journey that I'm on right now. Yeah, we're excited to see you in, in all your tournaments you have coming up. And uh, I, I hope to be able to make it to the ADCC when it happens. So it'd be nice to meet you there. Nice. Yeah, I look forward to meeting you, bro. All right, we'll let you go and, and get, to, get to work there. But uh, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate it. Have a good day. And I want to thank Mason for hopping on the show with us. It is great to get to know him and, and to talk with him. I urge you to go follow him on social media. I'll put links in the show notes and uh, really watch him as he as he trains for ADCC and, and the upcoming competition. And uh, it's going to be an exciting time. And very impressed with his uh, performances so far and, and definitely highlighted there at the West Coast Trials. So very grateful that he is up for being on the show and, and sharing some of his story with us. Yep, and if you liked the show, uh, the interview as much as we did, make sure and tell a friend about it. Uh, share this episode with them via Facebook or any other social media platform. We're active on Facebook. We're active on uh, YouTube, and every now and then you'll find Byron on Instagram. So uh, tell your friends and check us out on social media. Yeah, that's how we know we're old. <laughs> 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 None of us do that well in Instagram, and that's the – Anytime I say, so what social media? Oh, Instagram, you know, if they're under 40. <laughs> Byron, though, what's your snap? I don't, yeah, I don't have Snapchat. <laughs> we, we, got, we got a podcast. That's our main thing. I but, got snap, G- crackle, pop when I try and get it. <laughs> <laughs> Joe for the win. Very nicely done. Guys, for the article of the week, it's a very short article and also a uh, pretty short video. It's about a minute and a half long, and this guy is talking about uh, the role that uh, sports play with kids. And uh, I, I mean, I, I watched this and I was like, "This has got to be an article of the week," even though it's mostly a little video. So we'll play the video. We'll put a link in the show notes where you can learn more. Obviously, this is on childmind.org, and uh, check out the link if you're interested in this. But this, if this just doesn't yell. You know, get your kids into jujitsu. I don't know what does because he's talking about sports in schools and, and that sort of thing and, and the benefits that it has. But 
you know, there's nothing better than jujitsu for any of the ages of kids. There's no seasons. They could do it year round. It's uh, man. This just yells. When I saw this, it just yells do jujitsu. So here's, here's the little uh, clip from the article. Another component of the Vermont family-based approach is that we really support children being on sports teams. We don't support them being on sports teams because we want to create the next great athlete. We know they won't be the wonderful champions that the Boston Bruins or the Boston Red Sox are, are, are certain to be. We do it because of the benefits of being in a goal-directed environment with peers who expect you to behave well, with an adult other than your parent trying to teach you goal-driven principles. In our research in the Netherlands with Durant Bumsma, we've shown the protective effects of being on a sports team for the whole population. 70% of girls, almost 80% of boys up at age 13 were on sports teams. They used less drugs. They had better body mass image. They had less emotional behavioral problems. They got in less trouble. Now, this is overwhelming when you think of the fact that so many kids who enjoy exercise up till 12 or 13 have it taken away from them because of societal norms. Eco de Geis, Micah Bartels, and I have an exercise grant and in it, we wrote a paper that shows that environment mandates all of exercise behavior and being on teams up till age 13. But at age 13, it switches to genetic factors. And you start to think about only children genetically predisposed to exercise are on sports teams from 13 or over. This is a really sad condemnation of our society because it was schools, teachers, families, societal norms that said, let's make teams fields available to children because we value exercise. Yet when they turn 13, the most vulnerable time in their lives, we say only the best athletes can be on sports teams. I, I love that that he's talking about, you know, that how good sports are for kids. And it's just so sad that when, at around the age of 13 or so, they stop doing them if they're not good at them. And man, doesn't that just say jiu-jitsu? Because <laughs> there's a lot yeah. of kids at uh, 13 plus that aren't, that aren't picking it up naturally but still do it and enjoy it and there's no reason for them to be kicked off the team or not make the cut uh, they still get those great benefits and, and like two of them that really yelled at me was being in a goal-driven environment and that's that's jujitsu that's that's good for kids to be in an environment with, with other kids that are pushing themselves and then being uh, kind of pushed by an adult that's not your parent so you know being, being pushed to reach those goals by somebody other than mom or dad that uh, it, it's just a different feeling you know you get coach and, and for a 14 or 15 year old to have that or ha- to not have that because they're not particularly good at basketball because they're a short kid or they're not particularly fast so they're not on the track team anymore man jujitsu is the answer for all these kids yeah Byron I, I really like that it, I, I didn't listen to it before you played it and um and I know you said it screamed jujitsu to you, and, and that was the first thing that I was thinking of while I was going through it was jujitsu, and and it is a shame, you know, you get to middle school and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you got to make the middle school team or you're cut. If you're not one of the, you know, top ten basketball players, you're uh, not making the team. And you know, I also look at like our local uh, local um, YMCA, and you know, here in Wichita, their sports leagues are are twelve years and under. They do have, you know, MAYB basketball and AAU basketball, but those you also have to make the team. It's kind of just like the middle school thing. So, you know, we get over 12, you do have to make that. I don't see a lot of options 
um, if you're not the person as, as the author there said the genetically predisposed person so um, you know what are you going to do especially with you know the results they show that you're going to have fewer emotional fewer behavioral problems less likely to do drugs you're less likely to have a bad body image you're you're going to be more healthier and uh, you know it does scream jiu-jitsu jiu-jitsu like Byron said something there's no seasons you can do it all year long um, you know it you can ramp up in the summer ramp up at certain times and you know scale down if you've got some other things going on you know let's say you're you're in choir or you're in orchestra and and uh, you know you can't you know during seasons or you're in the band and you know you've got stuff going on during football but uh, you know it's a it's a year-round sport 24 7 365 uh, doesn't matter if you're 12 years old or 16 years old or or 51 years old like joe and i uh, we can always do it hey, so i got a question for you guys um i completely agree i couldn't agree more with what you're saying how do we as a jujitsu community community do a better job getting those kids in our schools and i asked that question because good point most of the schools that i've gone to have a reasonably large adult uh, training group and they have a bunch of five six eight and ten year olds but I don't see a lot of 12, 14, 15 year olds on the on the mats, uh, to be honest with you. You know, Joe, that is awesome. I never really thought about that. But I was thinking how kids have really kids programs have grown. But I do think what you're saying, I, I do see more of the, the 10 year olds uh, than I do of 13 and 14 year olds. And, you know, I wonder if that has something to do with, you know, all of a sudden you start, you know, thinking of girls, you're you, you're maybe playing a little bit more or maybe you're even getting in the point that you're getting a job. Um, but yeah, what we do need to find a way to, you know, get more of those people involved in jujitsu. Yeah. So, so anybody, anybody listen to this, if you attend a school that's got a good training group of 14, 15 year old kids, or if you run a school and you're, uh, having some success with that age group, Man, drop us an email or a message on Facebook or something and uh, let us know what you're doing. Yeah, I think the big overall thing is it's got to be enjoyable. I think just like when the other sports, the kids who are good at it, you know, the, the genetically gifted ones, stick with it. So if you walk in and you're, you know, eight and you just is super easy and you go through the ages and you hit 13, still, you just is still pretty easy for you. You're still picking it up very quickly. Um, you're likely to stick with it. It's just a thing. But if it's not enjoyable, even if uh, you're good at it or you're not that good at it, um, you're going to be gone. But if, if you go in there and you have a good time, and I, I just think it's easier to get back to and, and keep doing it. And, and the trick about jujitsu is even if you're not athletically gifted, you could still be good at it. You could, you could if you've done jujitsu for three years and, and now you're, you're that 14 or 15 year, year, year old kid and a more athletic kid walks in about your same age. And they haven't trained. You're gonna you're gonna feel like you're a top jujitsu person against this this uh, other kid. It's just like skill is so important in jujitsu, and uh, I think that just having coaches that are positive and and keep it fun and enjoyable and uh, and are able to to part of it also is <laughs> I'm all over the place here, but you know kids will go away for a season. They'll go play a different sport or school gets kind of hard at this time of year or something like that. And then uh, we need to get better at bringing them back after that season. You know, after um, you know, you, you know, like a, like a 16 year old kid gets a boyfriend or a girlfriend, they're gone. Okay. We need to still get them back into the gym. We need to be sending them occasional, 
occasional Snapchat or whatever the kids are doing these days and, and, and tell them, hey, you know, we're, we're missing the gym. Come in and roll. Even if it's open mat, if, if, you know, if the kid has to pay for it now out of their own pocket, you know, if the open mat's free or, or whatever you have that, that they could do, uh, figure out what, I think each kid's different, figure out what their problem is and try to get around that uh, for them. But I think, you know, probably like 80% of them are suffering from the similar issues, like the 80-20 rule. So uh, focus on like the bigger group of, of why you're losing your, <laughs> why you're losing those teens from, from on the mat there. That's a good, good point, Joe. And I, obviously we don't have a great solution and we, yeah, we definitely appreciate any input from the listeners on that, but there's definitely value in uh, people of all ages training. Yeah. It dovetails well into uh, Jerry's life lesson because the uh, benefits that it has for kids, those benefits stick with them into adulthood. So, Get, yeah. your kid, get your kids training, get them involved in a sport. You know, I was just sitting there thinking, reading that first sentence, um, you know, me and Joe are a little bit older than the average jujitsu guy, but you know, I can tell you from when I started jujitsu till now, I am definitely a lot stronger emotionally. And, uh, I don't know about behavioral, you know, you guys know that I'm a little crazy there, but, um, you know, jujitsu has really helped my emotional life. And, um, uh, you know, um, it's it's just done wonders for me. I, I think it'd do wonders for me at 15, and it it's going to do wonders for me next week when I turn 52. I don't think there's you know it's gonna these are gonna you know not just as I was a as a, as a child. Yeah, I think it's going to carry on to me till I'm 72 and and beyond as long as I'm training. Yep, Gary used to cry every night after jujitsu, and uh, anymore it's only after the really rough training sessions. Well, so you've got with, come that a long ways. <laughs> with that forty-three pounder kid earlier that I was talking, he used to cry before and after jujitsu, and now and he just during. cries after <laughs> and during and during. Yeah, but I didn't have a supportive coach. You know, like you were saying, for these young kids, you got to have a good supportive coach. Uh, you know, somebody who's who's tough, but also makes it fun. We want kids to have smiles on their face. They 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 got to have fun doing it. And um, you know, Byron was my coach, and he wasn't very nice to me, so I cried during it. <laughs> I didn't use my gi to wipe away your tears. I used my gi to make more happen. Um, yeah, cold blooded. Uh, <laughs> but most of the time, though, I was just crying because. I didn't want to end up like my teacher, and I thought if I kept doing it, I was going to end up like him. Yeah, that would be that would be a bad thing. Uh, yes. The or to give a quick shout out again to the website uh, childmind.org. The article is titled, titled "What Role Do Sports Play in the Mental Health of Children?" Check it out. Check out the uh, link to the video. Share it with your coach or anybody who's thinking about getting their kids into jujitsu. It, it, I could tell that the I, w- I would imagine the guy in the video doesn't know about jujitsu or he would be saying this is a great one to choose um because it's it's a lifelong uh way to to stay fit it's not just you know you play football in junior high and high school and then you know not a lot of us are 45 years old playing football anymore <laughs> it's just not the type of thing you could do forever but uh just you know that, fills that role that's what happened to me you know i was playing basketball my whole life and all of a sudden i got my 30s and and you know, I don't know if you know. I started losing the luster of basketball, and you got no ups needed, after that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really had no ups, but I needed something to replace it. And um, you know, this sport—it's funny, you know, because basketball was my thing. And um, you know, after now doing jujitsu and and knowing as many people that I knew that played basketball, jujitsu gets a hold of people. Like 
you know, I knew tons of people who played basketball and played at really high levels, but it just seemed like nobody, you know, jujitsu is almost like a drug. Like it's, it's just weird how it changes people. You know, there's, there's all sorts of people who do jujitsu, but you know, it just affects people so much. Like, you know, I played basketball all my life and, you know, I had great times and everything, but I just don't ever remember, you know, all the benefits. I mean, I knew I had fun and everything, but jujitsu really helps me, you know, like I said, there with my emotional problems and, and, you know, stress in the world. Um, and, you know, maybe basketball did, but maybe I just, you know, maybe before kids. So I didn't, uh, realize, uh, all the stresses I had, uh, you know, because I was doing it at a younger age. So maybe, maybe that might be a difference, but you know, jujitsu is something else. It's a really is a, a great, you know, activity to get into. The, the biggest change for Gary in basketball, when he was playing basketball, he won all his fights that he got into <laughs> and, uh, he could also slam it. And now what he's training jujitsu, he loses most of his fights and he still, and he doesn't slam anybody. <laughs> you know, the thing is though, the, Jiu-jitsu and basketball don't correlate because now when I get on the basketball court and somebody throws an inbounds pass to me and I butt scoot dribbling all the way up the court, people <laughs> look at me like I'm crazy. They give you some space. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> what is this guy? Is that a travel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, man. and you know, they talk about breaking ankles in basketball, but it means a totally different thing, breaking ankles in our sport. So, uh, you know, I have to be, I have to be careful. There you go. Just one change of sports, the same words, and a totally different meaning. Uh, guys, want to give a quick shout-out to some of our Patreon supporters. If you enjoy this podcast and you want to help it continue to grow, we urge you to go to our Patreon page and, uh, and, and send us some support. The most typical thing people do is pledge a dollar per episode. And with that, I email you at a 5-inch BJJ Brick Gee Patch and a sticker they are they are tokens of our appreciation for your uh, support of the podcast. I want to give a special shout out this week to Adam, Richard, and Caleb. Uh, thank you guys for your support on Patreon. It really means a lot to us. And uh, no new Patreon supporters this week. We're hoping for some next week. Gary, <laughs> yes. If somebody wants to send you a happy birthday message, because this will come out, uh, you know, but by, by your after birthday my time, birthday, after your birthday, do you send it to birthday. the Facebook group, or or what's the best way to send Gary a birthday message? To the Facebook group, or uh, if you're friends with me on Facebook, or you can look up Gary Hull H U L L on Facebook, and uh, you pop right up. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say there's probably a lot of Gary Hulls, so. Uh, um, that might be kind of tough. The best Gary, way, Gary what day is your birthday? My birthday is February 28th. Yeah, this will be aired way after that. <laughs> That's what I said. It's like, you're way off, Byron. But it's not too late to wish him a happy birthday or send him some, a birthday gift. Um, really trying to get that going, though. Oh, oh thanks, Byron. Hey, I accept money, gift cards, uh, you know. Amazon so, credit. Uh, yeah, good with that stuff. <laughs> oh, man. Uh if you want to find us on Facebook personally, that's cool. A couple of recommendations. Uh, I'm easiest to find. I have, as far as I know, a unique name to the United States, Byron Jabara, uh, B-Y-R-O-N. And look under Byron's Friends and find Joe yeah, and Gary. Yeah, be, Joe and Gary will be there. Um, if And then when you send us uh, a friend request, which happens sometimes, occasionally we get a new new friend request, if you're wearing some sort of a jiu-jitsu style of gear, 
approved. You know, thanks. You know, I'm, we're assuming if you're not living in uh, our areas that you found us through the through the internet or the podcast, whatever. But if you're just like wearing normal business clothes or you know just normal whatever, we have no like we get friend requests all the time from people who are just nobody that we know that are like. I get like I spam ones. Gary doesn't. He sends yeah. out spam ones. <laughs> but say I something like, "Hey, everybody. enjoy the podcast," or say something like that, and then okay, for sure we'll we'll add you as a amigo on uh, you know any social media thing. But uh, but that little message, if if it's not clear that you do that you train in your uh, profile, uh, send a little message and that you listen to the show or that you found us with this, and that really uh, helps that process. Because sometimes I'll like. I really don't want to say no to anybody that that is a fan of the show or that is a juicy person, but I don't want to say yes to people who aren't actually real. <laughs> Some of Gary's girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> but boy, they got great Facebook pages, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excited about next week. John Combs we have next week. Uh, another superstar. So make sure you uh, tune in next week and tell your friends to tune in next week for John Combs. Uh, guys, I had a great week uh, this week on the on the podcast. It was great to have Mason on the show, and, and I think we had some great discussions. You know, both the uh, the quote off the mat lesson and, of course, the article was outstanding. Uh, looking forward to bringing you all you know similar great content next week. So until then, stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower. Train hard, train smart, get better. We'll see you on the mat, guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu.